You are now listening to Discover Your Potential with renowned radio talk show host and certified holistic practitioner, Cindy Gilman. So listen, participate, be inspired. Know that you can discover your potential. Here she is, Cindy Gilman. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome Sunday. Welcome November. I'm pleased to be here with you. I want to thank all the listeners for allowing us to spend a part of your Sunday with us. And um, what a week it's been with weather. Woo! from coast to coast, but uh, this is a program that is aimed to help you discover your potential, to look within, to listen, to be inspired, to listen to the wonderful guests that we have talking about their journey, their creative process, and how the universe has pointed them in a direction to live to their potential. I know many of you, a lot of new listeners, and I thank them for sharing time. A lot of you have been listening to past broadcasts. Today, we're live and streaming. Thanks to Modern Technology and Doug from BBS Radio, who will uh, take your calls if you'd like to call in. Our call-in number is 888-627-6008. And uh, Doug helps us navigate through this hour. If you do call in, please give your real first name, or you may not get a real answer. Uh, there may be somebody else using that name with a specific topic or question. I just want to say that for decades I have been doing radio and every once in a while, and I've had some wonderful guests through the years, Dr. Wayne Dyer among them when he shifted from traditional psychology to spirituality and wrote Your Sacred Self. But every once in a while, a guest will appear that sparks the spirit of my soul, not because we work the same way, but our experiences and beliefs parallel to teach people that there's more to our lives than the here and now. Today's guest and his partner are two of those people. Before we get to that, I want to read something inspirational for you. It's called, Always Believe in Your Unlimited Potential. Believe in yourself. You have the ability to attain whatever you seek. Whatever you seek within you is every potential you can imagine. Always aim higher than you believe you can reach. So often you'll discover that when your talents are set free by your imagination, you can achieve any goal. If people offer their help or wisdom as you go through life, 
Accept it gratefully. And you can learn much from those who have gone before you. But never be afraid or hesitant to step off the accepted path and strike off on your own. If your heart tells you it's right, always believe you will ultimately succeed at whatever you do. You are meant to be whatever you dream of becoming. And so I am so excited about today's show. Am I excited? Yes, I am. Very excited. Many of you uh, may know our guest, Dr. Eben Alexander, um, for the first book that he wrote, Proof of Heaven. Um, Dr. Alexander, welcome to the program. I am honored, and with great respect, I introduce you. Well, Cindy, it's 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 our honor to be here. Thanks so much for having us on this afternoon. Oh, it's my honor. I, I'm, you know, you, you have helped people to open a door of understanding that there is so much more to life than here and now and what we see. Well, I think uh, the here and now is very, very important, but it's, uh, the only way to live in the here and now is to realize that we're much bigger than this. And uh, exactly. I think that follows right along with everything you said in your intro. This is about uh, rejecting false beliefs, about limitations, and understanding uh, just how much power we have in our lives. For those people who haven't read Proof of Heaven, how did you come... I, I know that you had an experience yourself where you, as a neurosurgeon, and I let me just tell our audience, Dr. Alexander, after decades as a physician and teacher at Harvard Medical School, he was a neurosurgeon, worked in my hometown, Boston, for many years, had a horrible experience with meningitis, and I'll let you go on from there. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's no way to put it other than uh, I look at that uh, situation with meningitis as a tremendous gift. And, of course, it's a gift uh, in large measure because of my recovery, but uh, the lessons that I glean from it all I think are very important uh, for my life, certainly, and I think they can help us all. And uh, basically it had all started, uh, it's been 54 years of my life, honing a very kind of conventional scientific worldview and fully believed in what's called physicalism. That's the notion that the physical world is the only thing that exists, and therefore the only way to explain everything about human experience is to explain everything about that physical world. And I've since come to realize, of course, that that view is very limited and false. But... Uh, let's get there step by step. So in November 2008, uh, I had severe back pain, headache, went into coma, grand mal seizures, was taken to the emergency room in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I worked. Uh, and um, basically they determined very quickly I had a severe case of uh, gram-negative bacterial meningitis, gave me about a 10% chance of survival, put me on a ventilator on three powerful intravenous antibiotics, 
And then I spent the next seven days languishing in coma uh, in that situation without any real positive signs of responding to treatment. And anybody who knows anything about uh, severe bacterial meningitis will realize that's not a common story, especially if you go into coma over just a few hours. Uh, usually by about two or three days into it, you're either dead or you're starting to wake up. And I was neither one. I went a full seven days. And at the end of those seven days in coma, my doctors estimated 2% chance of survival, uh, no chance of recovery. And that's when I came back to this world. But as they predicted, my brain was wrecked. I didn't even recognize loved ones at the bedside. Um, and language and memory came back uh, quickly. I mean, the thing, one a typical feature of my uh, near-death experience is that I was amnesic for everything I'd ever come to know in the life of Evan Alexander. I had no words or language or memories of this world and had this extraordinary spiritual experience. Now, the reason the scientific world takes it seriously is because of the medical documentation of the damage to my brain, because according to modern neuroscience, I should not have experienced anything whatsoever. With that kind of damage to all eight lobes of my brain, you don't have any way to have a hallucination or dream or drug effect. And yet I had this profound spiritual experience that started in what I call the earthworm eye view, a very primitive course unresponsive realm, but then I was welcomed up through this uh, spinning pure white light associated with a perfect musical melody into an ultra-real gateway valley that was filled with many Earth-like features, like I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There were thousands of, of people dancing in the meadow down below, and it was filled lush with life. There were swooping orbs of angelic choirs above, and uh, in that realm I had this beautiful uh, kind of guide who uh, those who've read Proof of Heaven will realize four months after my coma, discovering her identity was a crucial factor in proving the reality of the entire journey to me. But uh, from that realm, uh, she gave me this beautiful message, uh, very, you know, just mind to mind. I knew her deepest kind of emotional truths of reality, and her message to me, which was never spoken, but came into my mind completely. You are deeply... Telepathically, yes. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. And it was from that point on that I witnessed uh, all of that realm even collapsing down and uh, all of four-dimensional space-time, all that spiritual realm and the causality of what I call deep time, and then going all the way up into what I call the core, which was complete oneness with that pure God force of love where... Uh, so many near-death experiencers, prophets, and mystics for thousands of years across all cultures have come into touch with that uh, overwhelming power of unconditional love. And in many ways, if you come back to this world uh, like a near-death experience and don't have a death experience, you come back knowing there is nothing to fear about uh, leaving the physical body, that it's not an annihilation but actually an expansion of consciousness. And that, I think, is, is probably the deepest message of the story, even though there's much more to that spiritual journey that I witnessed. But uh, the, the biggest message is really uh, that our mind is, uh, you know, and consciousness is not created by the brain at all, but is something fundamental in the universe. And that is something that uh, Karen and I go around the world sharing uh, far and wide because it is a profound truth, especially when people realize that the scientific community is rapidly converging on a realization not only 
of uh, this reality of the, of the afterlife and eternity of soul, but even more of uh, kind of fascinating uh, possibilities such as reincarnation, which is very well uh-huh. supported by scientific study at this point in time. And so scientists are finally beginning to grasp that? Well, they're trying to understand it. Uh, right now, what we really have is a lot of empirical information that shows us that our simplistic view of kind of brain creates consciousness, the physical is all that exists, that kind of thing is, is false. It's, it's not true. It doesn't fit the data. And so when you fit the data of human experience, and especially right. when you try and tie that in with everything else we know in the scientific world, for example, the... Uh, the deep uh, underlying reality uh, that supports uh, quantum physics and all of that, all of this contributes to a bigger notion of uh, kind of human consciousness and survival of the soul. Absolutely. Now, have you had experiences connecting with your loved ones that have passed over to the other side? Well, I have. I've had some beautiful experiences. I mean, in in the story Proof of Heaven, it turns out, of course, that uh, the identity of that beautiful guardian angel that I encountered on the butterfly wing, who I did not know when I went through that experience in November 2008, Mm -hmm. but I discovered her identity uh, four months after I came back from coma. And as expected, it's someone who has a very deep and important role in my life, but it just so happens to be somebody I did not know uh, to identify as that uh, guardian angel before. Now, since then, uh, mm-hmm. beginning about two years after my coma, I've, I've gotten into a very uh, involved and dedicated practice of daily meditation uh, using uh, mm-hmm. sacred acoustics tones, and that's something Karen can talk about more. But the bottom right. line is uh, these differential frequency sounds have been very important for me to get into transcendental states of conscious awareness, and I've actually used them, as I mentioned in one particular story in our third book, the book that Karen and I wrote together, Living in a Mindful Universe, I recount uh, in detail a lot of how I've used those tones to fully develop relationships with entities that I first encountered in my NDE, and most importantly, that includes the soul of my father. Uh, he had passed over four years before my coma, and he was nowhere to be found in my coma. And yet, using these extraordinary techniques of of sacred acoustics and uh, that kind of differential frequency sound, I've been able to uh, encounter him and develop a very uh, rich relationship with him in that uh, afterlife soul form. So most of your experiences with your father have been through meditation. Have you felt any physical signs that he sent you since? Well, I've certainly had some very strong messages from him, and and mm-hmm. that's the story I tell in great detail. But I mean, not to go into it because it's a fairly long story, but the essence of it is when I was in a deep meditation mm-hmm. uh, about two and a half years after my coma using binaural beat, uh, sounds to get into that transcendental conscious state, I encountered my father for the first time. I had not encountered him since he left the physical plane four years before my coma. And I was had he a, a veteran? Uh, uh, yes, he was a, a combat surgeon in the Pacific Theater in, in, during the Second World War. Because I'm seeing him in uniform. Well, yes, he was absolutely... Uh, he got, he 
was a bronze star winner, although he would tell you anybody got a bronze star for slogging through the mud. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I think he probably did a bit more than slog through the mud to get that bronze star. But, yeah, he was over there until, uh, really, it was December of 1945 before he could even get back to the U.S. But I saw him in this uh, beautiful vision that I describe in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, and he was there with his college roommate. And that's a very long story that uh, I don't want to take up your time with. People can read it in the book. But the presence of his roommate was very crucial, and it helped to answer my question uh, of was I on the right path at that time in a very profound fashion. Why why was the presence of his roommate so crucial? Well, it, it, uh, it turns out at that time I was working with sound... Um, that uh, had been uh, developed uh, by someone named Bob Monroe. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that uh, Bob Monroe, something I didn't know when I had this uh, beautiful vision and when I was studying the use of sound for getting into altered states of consciousness at at, uh, Bob Monroe's uh, Institute, is uh, when uh, it turns out I found out that by encountering the, the roommate, and I will tell you that both my father and the roommate were in their early 20s, so mm-hmm. uh, just like often happens in those spiritual realms, we encounter people in their light body form, so they're kind of in their right. perfect Very physical often shape. they will appear in a visitation um, when they're younger and healthy and in their prime. Exactly, and he had passed over in his early 90s, and so this was quite a a, a nice surprise to see him there in his early 20s with his college right. roommate. But the reason the roommate appeared, and this is something I only discovered after months of emailing of all the relevant people involved and friends and children and all that, is it turned out that Bob Monroe was very good friends with the college roommate. His name was Agnew Bonson. And uh, that, to me, was uh, eye-opening. And, uh, again, it's a long story that I don't want to take up all your time with, but it proved crucial um, to see the, the roommate when I saw Dad in that same vision. And, of course, Dad mm-hmm. had a tremendous amount of message for me that in, in that form can come in, a, in one heartbeat and yet be a very complete and uh, complex message. And that's exactly what I had, which was basically that I was on the right pathway, studying sound to get deep into consciousness. The consciousness was not created by the brain. There was a whole... A uh, tremendous uh, set of levels of information of that uh, revelation that I achieved in meditation. But the thing that, for me, sealed the deal was when I found out all of that relationship of the college roommate with mm-hmm. Bob Monroe and the techniques I was using to explore consciousness. Everything made sense that I was on the right pathway. Now, had you been a meditator before that? Well, the only experience I'd had with meditation was back in college. I was, went to UNC Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. uh, and I was on the parachute team, and we used to compete doing free-fall formations. And uh, we, we started, one of, one of the jumpers brought this idea of Silva mind control, which mm-hmm. was a oh, meditative technique that. back in the 70s. Right. And we all, all started using Silva mind control, and it, it did greatly improve our formation free-fall parachuting. But I didn't see the reason to keep well, it going after that. Well, you're a braver person than I. <laughs> well, <laughs> once you trust the equipment, it's pretty easy to do. But uh, you learn to trust yourself too, because you've got to learn how to fly your body and 
survive falling through several miles of sky and all that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but it's great fun. I mean, uh, I, I can't diminish how much fun I enjoy jumping out of airplanes in college. Getting back to uh, near-death experience, how how common are near-death experiences? Well, they was yours the same or different from other people that you've talked to? Okay, well, mine, um, they, it turns out they probably uh, happen in about 15 to 18% of uh, people who come close to death. Uh, probably somewhere around uh, 20 million people in the United States have had an NDE, so they're very common. Uh, but people don't often talk about them because they're they're very different and very unexpected. And people might think they're a little hoo-hoo. People might think they're a little crazy, and that's one of the reasons I was very pleased to write Proof of Heaven to try and help bring people out uh, and let them know this is a common experience. Now, right. it turns out that Dr. Bruce Grayson, who's a psychiatrist at UVA, um, has done... Uh, probably more work than anybody as an MD to write about these kind of cases, and he actually came up with a 32-point scale to measure NDEs. And uh, if you put my NDE on that scale, it turns out to be up at the top kind of 98 percentile or so of having all the ingredients of an NDE. The one thing, as I said earlier about mine that was not usual was an atypical feature, was the fact that I was completely amnesic during the entire experience. In other words, I had no memory of Evan Alexander's life, no knowledge of this earth, no earthly language, zero, no religious beliefs, none of my scientific knowledge. I went in with a completely empty slate. Uh, and that uh, enabled a lot of uh, tremendous lessons that only became apparent to me months and even years after the NDE. That amnesia originally was a, a deep mystery because it was an atypical feature, even though it took me a while to learn a lot about NDEs. Originally, I knew nothing about them because I'd never paid any attention to that literature. Hmm. But uh, they're very common, and uh, mine was quite typical of uh, some of the more advanced forms of an NDE. But I enjoy meeting thousands of people around this world and hearing about all their NDEs because that is a tremendous resource to our society to pay attention to these stories because there are a lot of commonalities and things that teach us about the nature of humanity. And very often uh, people will say when they have an experience like that, a near-death experience, and their experience is so beautiful and wonderful and it's lovely, and, but they're, all, they're given a choice. Do you want to stay here, or do you want to come back? And those who want to come back, come back with a specific mission. Have you found that to be true? Well, I would tell you, in my particular case, the only reason I came back was at the very end of the journey. And again, there's a lot of this is in proof of heaven, so I don't want to... Uh, spoil it for people, but at the very end of the journey, when I realized I could no longer conjure up the portal of light that had <clears throat> taken me up from the earth where my view into that uh, ultra-real gateway valley <clears throat> at the very first step of my NDE, um, I, I came to realize, uh, 
you know, at the very end of it all, that I could no longer access those highest realms. That, and I'd been told that when I was in the core, that I wasn't there to stay. And that's when I saw uh-huh. the six faces around me uh, that turned out to be of people who were there in the ICU in the last uh, 24 hours I was in coma. I didn't know that at the time. But of those six faces, it was the last one of them that was my reason for returning to this world. And that was the face of my at then 10-year-old son, Bond, who they protected from the worst news of the week. You know, they kept telling him Dad was sick and uh, all of that. But, uh, of course, he didn't realize how bad it was. And until that Sunday morning, the seventh day of coma, when the doctors held a family conference, and said I'd gone from 10% chance to 2% mm. chance of survival with no real chance of recovery. And Bond overheard that conversation where they recommended stopping the antibiotics mm. and letting me go. And that's when he came running down the hallway and uh, pulled open my eyelids. I was still on the ventilator. Uh, my eyes taped shut, and the pupils were not responsive, and my eyes were looking in different directions. So I'm sure for him it was not a pretty sight. How and, old was but he? But he was 10 years old. Well. And what I remember was he was pleading with me, Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. And I didn't hear him with my ears or see him with my eyes. I was far too gone from this world. I explain every bit of that in Proof of Heaven. But the bottom line is the message did get through. And even though I had thought throughout all of this uh, eight-day coma and all the extraordinary journey Mm -hmm. that it didn't matter what happened, I thought I had this... um, notion that it could all continue or it could cease, and it didn't matter. And that gave me a sense of fearlessness and a sense of great power over it all. But now, with seeing his face and that pleading, I realized, oh my gosh, everything matters. I've got to figure this world out, and somehow I had to come back for him. And that was my drive to come back to this world, even though I didn't know at the time who this being was. I can tell that we were deeply connected through mm-hmm. uh, this loving uh, thread and that I had to come back for him. And that was the reason I came back to this world. So, it was family. Really out of love for him. Pardon? It was out of love for him, even though I didn't know at the time just oh, what our relationship was. But I knew right. here was another soul that profoundly needed me present with him, and that was my drive to start figuring things out and work my way back to this material wow. world. So he's, what, 18 now, 20? No, he's now 21. God <laughs> he's bless out in college, out in Colorado. He's having a great time. <laughs> Those are good times. Yeah, I think both my boys grew tremendously from this experience. My older mm-hmm. son, Evan the Fourth, and Bond, they both learned a tremendous amount about life and about, you know, things like meditation, going within, mm-hmm. uh, primacy of consciousness. I mean, they're, they have helped me interpret a tremendous amount of this journey. They've both been helpful to me. Now, in talking to families who have loved ones who are in a coma, what would you suggest to them? Because... So many times people will say, well, there's there's no hope, pull off the life support. What would you suggest, especially with the experience you've had? That prayer has tremendous power. Prayer has power to get through to them wherever they are, even if they've left the physical body forever. 
prayer and in in your mind and in your loving heart and your emotional uh, kind of a, as Karen taught me, this is all about heart consciousness. And in that heart conscious level, uh, through prayer and meditation, realize that you can still connect with them and you can have an impact. Absolutely. But the um, other important thing is we're not always meant to heal from every physical ailment. Right. So you have, that's why reincarnation is such an important thing to understand, is our job on this planet involves many incarnations. We come back again and again with uh, those in our soul group, uh, our loved ones, right. reshuffling the various relationships. But, but it's all about learning a progression lessons of lessons and learning. Learn in one and it doesn't happen in just one lifetime. That's right. That's right. Have you, have you had past life experiences yourself? I have in meditation, but for me the challenge is, you know, as a scientist, I want the objective proof. So if I go through something that to me seems to make a lot of sense as a past life memory, especially when I can have things that involve past lives as very kind of ordinary people out there, uh, how in the world do you go about uh, proving all that? And, you know, I know for the rest of the world it's important to prove it. For me, it's important just for it to make sense to fit into my life that I'm living today. And that's Absolutely. why I think it's very important for people to you meditate. You know, there are always the naysayers. There are always the people that poo-poo and say, oh, that doesn't exist. How can you even think about that? But, you well, know, they're at a disadvantage. It's, uh, it, it's that's, sad. That's sad. I was because at they're looking at life in a unidimensional way, not a multidimensional way. Right. Well, I was at that same disadvantage before my coma, but the good news is the scientific community is growing so rapidly around these issues of uh, uh, near-death experiences, past life memories in children, after-death communications, all that, that all of us will end up uh, realizing the truth behind all this. It's only materialist science that tried to deny the reality of many of these things because it didn't fit the theoretical model. But you know, the empirical data of human experience supports it all. There are certain things we can't prove scientifically. There are well, certain science also is useful to point the way, and right now it's pointing away deep into all of this, right. into the reality of, of consciousness is fundamental. I mean, it's, in fact, the only way out for quantum physics, for that science, to understand what the experiments show is to understand that consciousness is fundamental and primary in the universe. Our brain is a filter. It doesn't create consciousness. It only allows the expression of consciousness, which is primordial and eternal. Now, sometimes in your meditation, do you ever wish you could return to the other side? I get there. I do. You do get there. I mean, that's what I've been doing for nine years is wow. is building my relationship. I frequently do that in meditation. Now, one thing I will point out, I've, I've not yet fully duplicated the absolute full-bore ultra-reality of that gateway valley and of the core realm. You know, that reality where you see and know things outside of a, a here-and-now moment. I mean, the kind of reality it's is the ability to, say, have a life review, which many near-death experiences report, of going through all the meaningful lessons of their life, positive and negative, that are right. still to be taught to them, happens in a life review. 
And uh, it can happen in, in an instant, and yet it's absolutely complete. So the way of knowing things in that realm is completely different. It's like drinking from the fire hose in terms of consciousness. It's one of the reasons why near-death experiencers say it's so hard to put into words what they've been through. It's because the whole mode Sometimes of knowing there, there is so much more advanced. Right. So you mentioned children, and my feeling is that children very often come into the world with a recollection of a past life or with a recollection of what it was like before they entered the physical world. And And they're very eager to share it. It's just that parents need to be able to validate it. Well, it's good just to listen. (laughs) I mean, that's one thing Jim Tucker and Ian Stevenson, the doctors who have studied past life memories in children at UVA, I'll say you've got to harvest those memories before age six or seven because natural processes start to cover them over. That's why as adults we don't necessarily remember our past lives so readily, but as children we do. Hmm. But the important thing is all that does is acknowledge that our souls come back again and again in this process of growth towards that one. Until we get it right. (laughs) Well, the good news, Karen taught me a lot. And uh, when I met her in November 2011, Mm -hmm. uh, Karen was just a tremendous breath of fresh air around uh, the, as I mentioned just minutes ago, the notion of heart consciousness and the loving uh, consciousness is all involved. And also she'd been living her whole life as an idealist, which I was just beginning to realize from a philosophical scientific standpoint, is the way the universe actually works. You know, idealism, that mind is fundamental, and Karen had been living that her whole life, so I found her to be a very uh, sage uh, teacher. And she is your partner in uh, writing this new book, Living in a Mindful Universe. Well, she's and my part, uh, living partner, partner in this life and many lives, and also happens to be co-author of that uh, third book, Living in a Mindful Universe. Right. Is she on the other line now? I am on the line. Hi, Karen. Hello. Uh, let me just tell our audience a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen is an innovator in the field of brainwave entrainment audio meditation. She's the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, which empowers others in their journeys of self-discovery. So you use Sacred Acoustics to help people to reach a level of meditation that would be helpful to them for their inner guidance, to for inspiration, for wellness, for to develop their intuition. I've taught meditation for years to help people to develop their intuition. Right. Well, when I first started learning how to meditate, I wanted really badly to to be an expert at it. And because pretty much anything I set my mind to learning, I could learn how to do. But meditation was a little more challenging 
when I would first just watch my breath and follow those basic instructions, it, mm. it wasn't an empty mind in there at all. I had all kinds of thoughts going on. I couldn't get them to quiet down, and I felt really like a failure at meditation. It was not simple to just quiet the mind. And uh, it was sound that helped me to get mm-hmm. over that hump, a specialized type of sound, as Eben mentioned, called binaural beats. And it was so effective for me that, yes, eventually I founded a company. I'm partnered with an audio engineer who I work with together to create these sounds. We started by making them for our own personal journeys. And mm-hmm. I was able to tell him what I wanted to experience, and he would tw- tweak these recordings in such a fashion that I would have amazing experiences. And once we met Eben, Eben is, is, uh, was the first person who listened to these recordings besides myself and my other partner. And uh, he found them to be very useful and encouraged us to make them available to others and also invited me to help teach people how to engender these states. Because while Eben had this uh, you know, meningitis and this illness that really gifted him with this amazing spiritual experience, I had to cultivate and really learn how to make those kinds of experiences happen. Um, and so it didn't come easily to me like it does for so many, and the sound right. was an excellent way to uh, help kind of get me over that hump of uh, the beginner and then take me even deeper than I could possibly imagine. Sometimes uh, sometimes when we're first doing meditation, it's almost like a garbage disposal. Yes. A lot of things... <laughs> come into our mind that we have to just kind of let go and dispose so we can free ourselves to get to that to that open space or that alpha deeper level right and some of that garbage disposal for me was uh old emotional struggles i'd had in the past that somehow i hadn't really resolved I didn't realize I hadn't resolved them. I had put them neatly away. I was going through life. But then when I would meditate, I would start to find all these feelings of loneliness and despair and anger. And I had to work through all of that. And uh, attention to the heart really helped. Learning to generate feelings of gratitude, not just thoughts of gratitude, but how to Mm -hmm. generate a feeling of gratitude at will was not something that came easy to me. And now, of course... I can, and it's a beautiful thing for all of us to practice to do because our hearts function in this fashion that they actually affect people around us. The electromagnetic field that emanates from our heart affects people around us. So to me, it's imperative that each of us really learns how to manage what we call that inner world and learn how to find that awareness behind all those distracting thoughts and uh, emotions and Find that essence of who we truly are. That's where you'll find the potential that you speak of so beautifully. That authentic nature that we are is not our rambling thoughts and emotional reactions. It's something else entirely that we can get in touch with. You talk a lot about the heart of consciousness. I'm sorry, what? Did you ask me to tell you about it? Yes. 
Yes, well, HeartMath Institute in California has been studying the heart for decades. And what they found is that it emits, the, emits this electromagnetic field that seems to be based on your emotional state. So it expands and contracts depending on your feelings. And what's so interesting is we all think the brain is in charge, but the heart actually sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And it seems to be gathering information out into the world, but not with any verbal kind of understanding, more of a feeling understanding. And then that information gets sent to the brain gets sent to the brain for the brain to then interpret. And so the heart is a very powerful uh, organ in our body, but also not just the pumping of the blood, but that energetics. And so becoming more conscious of that is something that we highly recommend, uh, really, for anyone on this planet. So it's and the heart physical up, heart and the emotional heart. Yes. The electromagnetic field can actually be thought of as our thoughts and emotions. I think of the electric field as thoughts and the magnetic field as emotions. And uh, this can be just a really useful model. So when you talk about model. the magnetic field, are you talking about the energy field, the chakra, the... The electromagnetic field that emanates from the heart. It's actually a heart. field that's in the shape of a torus. And it, really, the earth has one of these, too. Uh, if you look at the energy of the earth, there's an electromagnetic mm -hmm. field coming out in the shape of a torus, which is a donut, really, with the, the hole in the middle is your heart. So it's kind of this 3D donut. And the brain has one, too, but the heart's is much, much larger. So it's kind of a common energetic structure uh, that is coming out of our hearts actively every day. You know, I think very often our physical body reflects what's going on in our emotional and spiritual level. And the way you're describing the heart, it kind of goes along with that. I would absolutely agree. And, Eben, you, sound, you do too. I know very much uh, that our mental, emotional state absolutely has an effect on our physical body. And, but then I also would uh, hasten to point out that uh, in many ways we also have that light body. Uh, just as I saw my father and his roommate in that light body form in my meditation, uh, right. we all have access to a light body in those realms that uh, I think that's where my memories came back from when the memories were completely deleted with my amnesia deep in coma. Uh, so we have that as kind of in that world of ideals, and uh, we can use that to kind of imprint uh, and, and bring more of that ideal uh, into this world, uh, into our physical bodies. Did you, have you had any, Karen, have you had experiences with loved ones that have crossed over, that have passed on? I have. Mine um, most strongly have come during the dream state, but they're mm -hmm. not like regular dreams. Some, there's, no, there, those are a, visitations. It's a visitation, but it's when I'm sleeping, and so it feels like a dream, but there's a different, there has been a different right. quality to it that feels much more real and uh, poignant than a typical dream. Even though I can get pretty uh, deep into things in a regular dream, it's a different mm -hmm. quality. But, yes, I have. There's a, there, there are dreams and there are visitations, and often visitations will appear through dreams. Right. So yes, who has come through to you? For me, Who's it was my woman? stepfather, and he actually had taken his own life. 
and I was very concerned about him. I, I believed at that time that our souls continue to exist, and I was worried. Um, at the time, I had heard that people who commit suicide, that they're not necessarily met with great things on the other side. And so I was very concerned. And I did have a friend of mine who knew how to reach out, um, did it, and told me he was okay. And Mm -hmm. it was about a year after he died when um, this dream happened, this visitation, I like that word, happened. And it was so wonderful because he actually confirmed, what he said to me, it's all coming back to me now, he said to me uh, that he was concerned about my mother who was dating a man who he didn't think he sh- she should be dating, and mm-hmm. that um, he had been to the house three times and that he wanted, he wanted it to stop. And I thought, well, that's really strange. So I had, didn't know about this. My mom and I lived in different states, and we, uh, she hadn't told me about any when she was dating, but I called her, and sure enough, she confirmed that she had been seeing a man who she knew from high school, and they had gone out to dinner three times. He had picked mm-hmm. her up at her house, and she had just decided to end that relationship and not move forward. She wasn't ready. And so for me, that was absolute validation that he knew what was going on in this and world. And this was from whom? My stepfather. Your stepfather. Who was married to my mother, yes, when he passed. And so that was an amazing piece of earthly information mm-hmm. that he held that I had no idea of, so I could not have oh, made it up Oh, he didn't in my like mind. that man. Well, neither did my mother, apparently, so they agreed on that. <laughs> he did not like that man. Yeah. Maybe he was... Maybe he was... too controlling. Possibly, yes. And your mother had already gone through a controlling relationship. Well, that's hmm. some good insight, yeah. So she was also very impressed uh this this influenced her highly and made it just it really brought her a lot of comfort to have that kind of validation that his spirit was still connected to her in some fashion and watching even, over her yes and even though he wasn't in his body anymore so these kinds of things happen in the, the workshops that we teach uh very often people will have their departed loved ones uh show up to them we've had mm-hmm. Mediums tell us when they come to our events, sometimes we'll dim the lights, and when we do this and start the music that helps people get into these states, they see all these little lights show up uh, who they say are loved ones coming because they know that their people here are going Mm -hmm. to potentially be in a state where they can get their attention. Right, or they're even asking for their attention. Yes, correct. And mediums must be bombarded when they come. (laughs) (laughs) Well, most mediums have learned to manage that energy. Uh, But yes, those who haven't uh, are a little, can be a little overwhelmed, some of them. We can manage them, um, but when something, when when you put yourself, when you open yourself up, if they're coming for a meditation and you open yourself up to that, you can't help but pick up on other, you know, other people who have passed on and yes, be bombarded agreed. by everybody that's yes, yes, waiting that for a loved one to show up. Mm-hmm. But uh, Or if there's something that's going to affect 
a great number of people um, or a world event, very often you can discipline yourself to shut it down, but then it comes back Yes. until the actual occurrence happens. So it's, uh, yeah, people have said to me, well, why don't you write a book? And I go, if I write a book, it's going to be called It's No Picnic. <laughs> I know everyone thinks it's so exotic and fun and exciting, but no, it's it, it can be very uh, challenging in it's some ways. It's a lot ways. of responsibility. Yes. Well, I, I think the now, important thing to remember is um, living our lives here depends heavily on on you know properly assessing our our relationships and in, in that spiritual realm. So it's. It's not just all pie-in-the-sky stuff, but it can be very practical in terms of how we live in the here and now. Absolutely. Now, I know you have a special gift for some of our listeners Well, with you some can... of your sacred acoustic recordings. Yes, you can go to sacredacoustics.com and put in your email, and we'll send you a free 20-minute uh, recording that many, many people have used with great success. Uh, on a on a daily basis, so it's 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 not just a quick little sample. Okay, let's, you... let's uh, for our audience. It's www dot and this is one word, and I will spell it for people who need the spelling. Sacred S A C R E D Acoustics A C O U S T-I-C-S dot com. That's it. And look for uh, the link that says free download, and then you'll... Free download, and mm-hmm. you will send them. We'll send a link to a 20-minute recording that, uh, that is this brainwave entrainment that we're talking about that can help. Uh, minimally, it will relax you. And who doesn't need a little relaxation these days? And my reminder is... Please do not listen to this while you're driving. Yes. Thank right. you. And we also <laughs> recommend listening through headphones. They're, it's more effective through headphones than through speakers because these sounds are very different from anything people have ever heard. Uh, most of the sounds we've heard in our lives are processed in the recently evolved uh, acoustic uh, cortex of the neocortex in the brain. But mm-hmm. these sounds from sacred acoustics uh, really are processed by a very ancient center in the lower brain stem. And I think that's one of the reasons they have such tremendous power at liberating our conscious awareness. Uh, are there the other certain thing to point- musical in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a diminished fifth or perfect fourth or certain intervals that create that or certain well, what levels we do is, of sound, low sounds, high sounds? We combine different frequencies to create these brainwave states, these binaural beats. But when we choose those frequencies to combine, we always use um, harmonics. So everything is, one, is an octave of another. Mm-hmm. And so the file that we, that we give away includes frequencies of 108, 216, 432. When you add them together, they they all match up. So everything is okay, harmonic. So once it's again, not like typical music. We only have a few moments. Um, so for people who would like a free sacred acoustic 
sample. It's www.sacredacoustics.com. Most of all, please, well, first of all, if you have not read Proof of Heaven by Dr. Eben Alexander, read it. And then, where can they find Living in a Mindful Universe? Well, if you go to ebenalexander.com, that's E-B is in Baker, E-N-Alexander.com, there will be a, um, uh, links to the books there, so that's an easy place to get it. You can really get it at any place uh, books are sold, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, what have you. Um, but I'd also like to mention, speaking of freebies, uh, that people can go to that website, ebenalexander.com, and there will be a little banner that wiggles in your face on the welcome page, your 33-day journey into the heart of consciousness. And if you click on that banner and put in your first name and an email address, for 33 days you will get an email that has one of the major topics of our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, and then has some practice and uh, some ways to kind of build up your own personal daily practice of meditation or what have you, uh, your way of living. So each one of these 33 days is a lesson. But the best thing about it is more than 8,000 people around the world have already taken that 33-day journey, and mm-hmm. they've, many have left comments on all these pages. They've left their own experiences, and they've helped each other. And it has a translate button, so people from all over the world are participating. But this 33-day journey is a great uh, community to help people of, of like minds to get together and share ideas and experiences. So I would highly recommend to your listeners, it's completely free, uh, and uh, that's a great way to get into this and get deeply into it because that 33-day journey also involves a healthy exposure to sacred acoustics. So if people listening could do one thing right now to improve their lives, and we only have one minute left, what would you recommend? I think the important thing is to go within. I mean, once you realize that your brain is not creating your own mind, all as one little private little adventure, but that, in fact, your brain is serving as a filter that allows you access to primordial mind, to a consciousness we all share, you start realizing why exploring that consciousness can bring tremendous benefits. And we haven't had time to really go into mind over matter, like placebo effect and all that kind of thing. Well, then you'll have to come back as a guest again. Well, we we would love to, because there's a lot more to share. But I think that's the one thing I would recommend, is start going within, a daily practice. If you can take 10 or 15 minutes of of meditation, just listen to that 20-minute on file. Look at some of the uh, uh, training videos that Karen has on sacredacoustics.com. They're all free, and uh, you can learn. She gives a lot of tips on how to get the maximum benefit out, out of all this, whether you're looking for stress reduction, health improvement, creativity, uh, per, interpersonal relationship help, uh, right. encountering soul of departed loved one. I mean, all these many, many things, and sacredacoustics.com is a great resource for all of that. Well, I, first of all, I want to thank both of you. Dr. Alexander, Karen, thank you for sharing part of your Sunday. Thank you for sharing your knowledge, your experience, and keep on teaching. I, I can't tell you how much it means to me that we got to spend some time together because we're all, the three of us are 
all in agreement of certain things, that there is so much more to life. There is so much more. Well, there absolutely is. And there'll always be naysayers, but those people who have an open mind, who can accept an understanding that there is something more, something higher. We are spiritual beings. Thank you both for being there. Well, Cindy, thanks so much for having us on. Yes, and thanks for all you do. Yes, thanks for getting the word out to the world. It's very important what you do. Well, we're all doing it. Thank you. Yes. We'll talk soon. So this is Cindy Gilman. You've been listening to Discover Your Potential. Thank you, Doug, for the wonderful job you did. And uh, do something nice for yourself. Do something nice for someone else. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Doug. Cindy Gilman is a certified holistic and Reiki and energy practitioner, as well as a spiritual medium. As a spiritual medium and empath, she conducts individual personal consults either by phone or in her office. All sessions are professional and confidential. For a phone consultation or in-office appointment, go to www.cindygilman.com or call 401-885-4115. Hello, I am Ron Hayden of Voices Unlimited. I've been writing and voicing radio and television commercials, toys, games, corporate sales and training, and so much more for over 25 years nationally and globally. I will write or co-write and voice your radio or TV spots, on-hold messages, or whatever you need in one of my many voices or celebrity voices, custom characters, or an announcer voice. A great gift idea. Have me make a celebrity phone call for a special occasion. Just go to www.ronhayden.com to sample my voice demos. Email me at rhvoices1 at msn.com. I look forward to working with you in a high voice, a low voice, or just my voice.